This is the Next Simple Step Podcast. I'm Paul Goldsmith. Every new year, you think about starting some new goals. Well, how'd you do last year or the year before that? Maybe you crushed a few of them, but chances are there's at least one or two you haven't quite made progress on yet. Well, what can you do to ensure that you do your level best to crush every goal you established this year? Let's talk strategy and mindsets with an actual expert today on the next Simple Step podcast. Carrie Jackson is here. She's a performance and mental training expert, a certified mental performance consultant, and author of On Top of Your Game, Mental Skills to Maximize Your Athletic Performance. And she also happens to be one of the world's foremost authorities on the mental and emotional challenges of recovering from injury. Okay, Carrie, tell us, first of all, what exactly does a mental training expert do? So I work at the field of sports psychology and I get the opportunity and privilege of working with athletes and exercisers on all of the mental aspects, mental and emotional aspects that come into play when it comes to performance. And so just like, you know, athletes have their physical coaches or their strength and conditioning coaches, I get to come in and coach the mental aspects of performance. In sports, most of us are familiar with a pitching coach or batting coach or the equivalent in whatever sport you're pursuing. But this idea is new, at least for some of us, this area of coaching for mental skills. And personally, I don't think this should be exclusive for athletes. We could all benefit from that. Yes. So for the person listening who is in a goal setting mode, tell them what do you need to do differently to ensure success or at least increase the odds. We all want to change ourselves for the better, but somehow stay stuck. What do we need to change to improve our batting average when it comes to setting goals? With goal setting, it's interesting too, right? It's like the perfect time of year. Everyone's thinking, well, some people are thinking about New Year's resolutions and they're excited about that idea. And then other people are like, New Year's resolutions are the worst and I don't do them, right? And a lot of times it's because people set New Year's resolutions and then three months later, they're like, oh, that's right. I set those resolutions. And then six months later, they're like, oh my God, maybe next year. And then eventually they're like, they don't work because we're not actually setting them up in a way that's effective for setting a goal and actually setting a goal. So I think one of the places people get stuck, there's a couple of different things actually where people get stuck and people don't spend enough time in this part of the goal setting process of like the assessment and evaluation in the beginning processes of like really making sure you're setting the right goal for right now. So One place where people get stuck is they're not great at developing the vision of where it is that they want to go and getting really deeply connected to why they want to go there. They're really good at like, put me to work and I'm going to do the work, but all that work might not all be moving in the same direction if you don't have the vision. I fall into that camp. (laughs) So some of us have different strengths, right? Other people are the opposite and they can absolutely develop the vision and see it so clearly in their mind, but don't know how to break down the steps that are needed in a really specific, thoughtful way to carve the path that gets you to that vision that you have. So those are two places where sometimes people get stuck in that beginning process. So you really have to figure out what is it that I want and have a clear vision of that and why do I want it? Like, how does it connect to a value that I have and why is this important right now? And there's all kinds of tips on this part of like getting really specific on outlining the path. Like, here's how I'm going to get there. Yeah, I love that. Hence the name, Next Simple Step. So let's take an example. Say you have a vision and you're ready to set a goal. 
we'll pick a popular one. I want to get healthier. Everyone wants to be healthy in theory, but most of us don't make much progress on it from year to year. It just feels daunting, overwhelming. How do you help somebody break it down into simple steps? Yeah. And something like, I want to get healthy can be very overwhelming, right? Because that can mean so many different things. So sometimes that's what happens when we set a goal that's too general. So the goal of getting healthy, we would look at that and go, okay, how can we make that more specific? So when I talk about goal setting with people, like that's the number one sentence they're going to hear me say is how can we make that more specific? Because the more specific you are with your goals, the more likely you are to actually accomplish them. So we look at that goal of getting healthy. And when you just say that in a general way, it feels very overwhelming. So we want to break that down and go, okay, so what does that mean? And there's a couple ways to do that. So one is if you know what it means, like, well, I know I need to get to the gym more. Like I want to be working out on a regular basis. Okay. So how do we make that more specific? So sometimes they already know and can break it down. But sometimes when people get so overwhelmed, they're like, I don't know the first step to take. I don't know the next simple step. So with that, a quick sort of assessment tool I'll do for them is, okay, on a scale of one to 10, one is like, I have no confidence in my ability to get healthy in 2024 at all. Like I say I want it, but it's not going to happen. And 10 is like, oh, this is happening. I want to get healthy more than I want to breathe. Like I know this is going to happen. So then I say, where would you rank your feelings of confidence right now in this moment? And then they pick a number and let's say they choose four, except what they want to do is say three and a half. And I'll say, no, you have to choose a number. (laughs) You have to choose a solid number. Like, don't overthink it. It's subjective. It's okay. So then my next question is, so why did you choose a four instead of a three? And so if you're doing this for yourself, you just write these answers down, like actually put pen to paper and write it down because it really helps flesh this out. And the reason I ask that first is to help them identify you do have some confidence. It's not zero. There's something there. So why did you say a four instead of a three? And then the second question is, what would you need to do or what would need to be different in order to say you're a five instead of a four? So we don't go to 10. 10 doesn't matter because you have to get to five first. And that gives you what's the first step because we usually intuitively know what that is. And then that can start the goal setting process. Okay. Well, and you talk a lot about rehabilitate athletes from injury. So that can be really demoralizing when you get injured or when you just hit a wall in whatever goal you're pursuing. So yeah, you know what the next step is. And maybe you get three steps in and then you just hit a brick wall. You don't have the support you need and you run out of courage or just the physical ability to do the thing. And so how do you overcome? How do you bounce back? How do you kind of reset and stick to the goal? Yeah. So when you hit a setback, like you're on your goal path, things are going great and you hit a setback. One thing to keep in mind is that it is a normal part of the process. And what happens sometimes is if you're not really deeply sort of grounded in why do I want this and why is this important to me and not the surface why, like, but underneath, like deep down, I have a great exercise for that too. So when you're deeply connected to that why, setbacks only set you back if you let them, right? That you will continue to persevere because it's not a matter of if, but when. 
and you know how to adapt and adjust when you hit the setback. So that's the second critical piece is knowing that adapting and adjusting is a very normal part of the process. And so preparing for that. So when I walk someone through this process of setting goals, one of the things we'll identify is, well, what are some of the potential setbacks that might get in your way of your goal path? And what are we going to do when that happens? Like, so you plan ahead of time what your response is, because when you don't, that's when people hit a setback and they feel like they failed, or if they have to adjust the goal, even feel like they failed instead of knowing this is a very natural part of the process. Like we all sort of in our heads, I think we think it should work like a perfect, beautiful upward trajectory. And like, there's no setbacks and there's never any dips in the road. And like, that is very much not how it works. So normalizing that and knowing like, okay, this is what Carrie was talking about. Like, here's my setback, but I already have a plan in place. So I know what I need to do in this moment to get through this moment and trust I'm still on the path. I'm still moving forward. I just did a loop-de-loop there for a minute. Right. And I would suspect I'm thinking about my own life, I think sometimes we don't really acknowledge that this might not go as planned because that's scary because you maybe you failed in the past. You probably have failed in the past. Yeah. And you're like, okay, we don't want to do that again. So we're going to accomplish this no matter what. And then you hit that setback and it's really defeating. How do you overcome that doubt creeping in if you've already planned for failure? And a lot of people wonder that too. They're like, oh, but I don't even want to carry. I don't even want to think about that. Right. Like, I don't want to think about not accomplishing the goal, sure. right? Because I don't want to plant that seed in right. my head. But what happens often is that then we feel more confident when that thing does happen because it will. We are going to hit setbacks and you can't even plan for all the setbacks you'll face, right? One of the really interesting things about doing this process is when you've primed your brain to go for resilience and adapting and adjusting, and you've planned that out for the setbacks you could think of, then when you have a setback that happens and you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming, (laughs) you're already primed your brain for resilience and for adapting and adjusting. So I think it's important to know too, like you are going to have times where you doubt, like, I don't know if I can do this, but know that that's a normal part of the process. It's our ego trying to protect us. And when I say ego, ego is not a bad thing. It's there and it plays a very important role when it comes to wanting to accomplish goals or wanting to improve yourself. However, sometimes it goes into this protective mode and will plant little seeds like, I don't know if you can really do this. You should probably just stop right now so you're not embarrassed when you don't make it happen. So knowing that that's a little gremlin thought that just popped into my head, but I don't have to listen to it. So it's normal for those thoughts to pop in, but you don't always have to believe every thought that comes into your head because of the way that the brain is wired. Those are going to pop in. So your job in that situation is to counter it and to coach yourself through that moment. Well, that sounds good. And I know we hear cliches like life's a journey, not a destination. And when we talk about accomplishing a big goal or increasing our performance or our skills, how can we transition our minds, your mindset coach, from being so focused on just the end goal? But then I just want to add this because I think about really accomplished athletes or just successful people in general. And they say, well, it was fun for a minute, but really, you know, they enjoyed the process in retrospect and the moment of victory is only a moment. And so how can we enjoy the process, the journey, and not be so fixated on just when we get to our goal? Yes. And uh, it's interesting because so many people struggle with this idea sometimes of, are you telling me that it's not okay to want to win? No, 
100% no. Of course you want to win. And that is the goal. Like if that's the goal for that person. However, with this idea of like, how do I embrace the journey and how do I enjoy the process? The reason that's so important to really make sure that you have intrinsic motivation, right? So you're enjoying the process of how it feels to improve and overcoming the struggles, you know, so the intrinsic motivation there versus only the extrinsic motivation, which is might be, I'm motivated because I want to beat the person next to me, right? The reason this is so important is that we see athletes more likely to burn out and more likely to quit their sports or more likely to give up on your goal if you're only motivated by accomplishing the outcome. So it has to be more than that. It can also be that 100%. That's okay, especially if it's like, that's what gets you up in the morning to make the choices you need to make to be the healthy person you want to be. You don't want to remove that by any means, but you want to learn ways to include really embracing loving the process of getting there. And even, this is going to sound crazy. Some of you are going to think I'm crazy, but like you can even love the struggle. You can even train yourself to love the struggle because that is part of what makes it so beautiful to accomplish a goal is the fact that you did have to work for it. Like if it was easy and the outcome absolutely guaranteed, we probably wouldn't even go after it. Actually, we see that in research when people set goals that are either too easy or too difficult, they don't accomplish the goal. So it seems pretty no-brainer. If you set a goal that's not realistic for you, you're not going to accomplish it. But then setting one that's absolutely realistic and too easy to accomplish that we don't even accomplish those, it's like, wait a minute, what? And it's because what's motivating about it is that you do have to work for it. It's not guaranteed. That's what makes it so meaningful. So embracing that part of the journey. And I think about this term smart goals, right? And the R is realistic and then T time-based. So specific, measurable, achievable. All of those things are like, yeah, it's got to be within the realm of possibility. But if it's so easy, it's a foregone conclusion. It's not going to be intrinsically motivating. It's going to be like, well, of course. I wonder, okay, so you got to your goal and I hear from a number of people who kind of plateaued in their careers or they want to do something else, but they don't know what it is. And I've come to really like this term I heard from Gay Hendricks called the upper limit problem. And I think that perfectly summarizes what a lot of us experience in life with whatever it is, whether that's a family situation or it's a career or an athletic situation, you do set a goal and you accomplish your goals and then you you plateau at a certain point and you hit your ceiling and your upper limit problem. And so how do you coach people specifically athletes, to break through that upper limit. They're performing at a high level and they may perceive that to be, I'm doing the best I can. I've put in the work and I'm better than most in the world, but then where do I go from here? Right. Yes. Yeah. What's interesting about that is what I see people that's sort of related to what you're talking about. What I see people struggle with sometimes is we very much live in a drive culture. So what I mean by that is like, we're always wanting to accomplish and achieve and like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you work hard, you'll get everything you want in life. We're very much immersed in a, I need to be productive culture. And one of the consequences of that is there's a tendency, and I see this especially with athletes and people who are goal-driven, like who enjoy accomplishing goals and setting goals, is that sometimes the trap we fall into is 
always setting the bar higher. Like as soon as you hit that upper limit, you go, okay, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? You keep, exactly. Yes. So one of the problems with that is that when we do that, what tends to then be the consequence of that, of always setting the bar higher is that we feel like what we're doing is never enough. And when we don't recognize the goal that we just accomplished, what that does is we don't get the opportunity to internalize the feelings of confidence that come with that because we've just automatically set the bar higher. So sometimes instead of setting the bar higher, you need to set the bar down. And I think that connects to sometimes hitting an upper limit and not knowing how to get through that upper limit. It's because we've never given ourselves the opportunity to see how far we've come, to recognize what we've done. Instead, we just go, okay, what's next? And it, But that person's doing that, so that must mean I need to do that. Instead of like, let's take a beat and honor how amazing you are and what you just accomplished. Like That is a critical part of the process. I want to help as many people as I can, but that really hits me. So I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but like, man, my accomplishing heart, if I'm not accomplishing a new level, I do feel like I failed. I'm not... <laughs> progressing, if you will. And so that's really tough to take a moment and kind of celebrate where you've come. Well, and not settle, frankly. So yeah, what do you do with that? It's like, well, you just give up, you've plateaued. So I hear you say, and that's good advice to celebrate it, but then how do you go from there? Yeah. So when you're in the plateau, that can be challenging too, because that's also a place where it can really hit your confidence when you're used to seeing that upward trajectory and now you've hit a plateau. So sometimes it's trusting that that is also normal and that you will get through it. And sometimes the way to get through it, sometimes it's just time. Like I see this, it's really interesting with certain sports too, in particular, where it's very natural to hit a plateau. And sometimes that plateau is there for a quite a long time before they then push through and level up. So knowing whatever it is that you're doing, that that is a normal part of the process. It's normal to have a plateau and trust that you'll get through it versus allowing it to negatively affect your confidence. Like you will get through this time and your job right now is maintenance, right? You don't need to figure out how to improve, especially if it's just getting you stressed out and frustrated and negatively affecting your confidence. So if it's doing that right now, okay, I'm in a plateau. I need to keep going. And then maybe you need fresh eyes. Like sometimes we hit a plateau because there's something happening that we can't see. And so either we need to come at it with fresh eyes or we need to reach out for support from someone else that is going to see it in a different way because they're not as close to it. And that might be the fresh eyes you need. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we just need to expand our time horizons because we are in a fast food. Every We want everything now. And, you know, Amazon has ruined this yes. call. Oh my gosh. Get anything in the world within two hours at your door. That's incredible. And they're probably going to get even faster as time goes on. That's not healthy. No. <laughs> and so I think about the idea that open your time horizon. I did this exercise recently where kind of looking back 10 years in some areas of my life and how far you've come in 10 years, because you look at any graph and there's ups and downs, but you want to look just like in finances, you're not always going to increase your income every month. You may have some unexpected expenses and revenue goes down or expenses go up or whatever, but over time you want a growth trajectory and that's true in life as well, but there are going to be ups and downs. As you said, expect setbacks but you don't stay there, get a fresh perspective. And then 
I do believe, and tell me what you think of this, but how do you get confidence if you've had too many setbacks or you have swung and missed too many times? I really think, well, then maybe you do need to lower the bar, like you said, just above or just right at your skill level. You build the confidence by putting in the reps and go from where you are comfortable to pushing that upper limit of your comfort zone, right? Yeah. Sometimes if you've encountered many setbacks and you're starting to get frustrated and find yourself now, it's affecting my motivation to want to continue on this goal path or doing this. So the scale that I talked about before, where you're ranking your level of confidence, if you're in a position where you're starting to feel burnout or you're stuck, the other thing I'll ask sometimes is to, on a scale of one to 10, one being, I have no motivation for this at all, and 10 being, I absolutely want this more than anything, right? So your motivation for that thing, rate yourself there. And what that does is if you do both, so you rank your level of confidence and your motivation, the first thing it does is help you identify, oh, am I stuck because it's a lack of motivation or is it a lack of confidence? Because sometimes what we assume is a lack of motivation is actually a lack of confidence, but sometimes it's a lack of motivation. Sometimes other things have happened in your life and that goal you originally set for yourself is no longer as important to you. And so it is important too, in those moments, if you've had a bunch of setbacks to identify like, oh man, am I having these setbacks because it's a little bit of self-sabotage? And is that self-sabotage because I don't really want this anymore? Or is it because I'm afraid if I put everything on the line, I might not be able to do it? And what does that mean? And feelings of embarrassment come up around that. Like, what if I tell everyone this goal and I can't accomplish it? So that's where like some of that groundwork in the goal setting process becomes really important so that you can get through these different moments. So when you have multiple setbacks, it is like, am I rushing something and I need to kind of pull back and slow down and see what's happening here? I see that sometimes with athletes getting re-injured after injury or getting multiple injuries. So am I rushing something and I really need to pull back and reassess? Or am, you know, am I struggling with motivation or confidence and getting and getting clear on which one it is so that you know what to do from there. Okay, let's say it's motivation. So we've talked a lot about confidence and reviewing what your vision is and what support do you need to keep moving forward. So if we've determined that maybe it is a motivation problem, you're just not feeling it, how do you get that? How do you find motivation? A great exercise that I do with my clients is called the five whys or find your why. And so what you do is you write down at the top of a piece of paper, you just on any piece of paper, scratch paper, whatever, on the top of your paper, you write down what your goal is that you want to accomplish. Like, so, except we would get more specific, but let's say it's, I want to get healthy. Fantastic. So then number one question that you're answering below that is why is that important to you? And then you write down your answer. And that number one, why is that important to you is usually sort of the surface answer, right? So then number two is, okay, why is that important to you? So now you're writing down why is that answer of number one something that's important to you, right? So if you say, let's see, like, oh, I really want to get healthy. Well, you know, I want to feel stronger in my body and I want to have more energy. Okay, great. So why is that important to you? Then you answer that and you keep doing that process five times. And people will get to the fourth one and they're like cursing my name. Like I, I already, I don't know. I can't, I don't, there's nothing else left. So you got to sit with that. If that happens for you, just sit 
in that space for a minute or two and see and see if something else comes. Because sometimes when you sit with it, that fifth one comes and you're like, oh, wow, wow, I had no idea. That's the deep connection to your values. Why? That's what we want to know. So sometimes that process can, and if nothing else comes, then number four is it. And that's okay. <laughs> like you don't have to go to number five, but that gets us connected to our deeper why and something that's connected to something that we very deeply value. And that's the thing that gets us through those moments when we're like, I don't want to get out the door today or whatever it is that you're trying to do, because there's a difference between motivation and commitment and you need both. And when you get to the steeper why, that's what keeps you going in the moments when you're not motivated, that your commitment is the thing that helps you. And that like, reminding yourself of that connection of why you wanted to do it in the first place. So sometimes that's the job is to get reconnected to that because we lose our feeling of motivation when we've had a shift in our perception of control. So when your want to has shifted to a have to, right? So the thing that you wanted to do more than anything of accomplishing this goal, when suddenly it feels like you have to do this, that's a shift in perception of control. So you need to remind yourself, oh no, wait a minute. I choose to do this. I'm the one in charge here. Like I want to do this. I choose to do this. So that's just your brain kind of playing tricks on you there. Oh man, that's powerful to take should or have to out of your vocabulary. And as a very privileged, most of us in the Western world, we have immense privilege. We get to choose and really owning your choices that this is how you want to live and these are the goals you want to pursue. And that's a powerful mindset shift. And I think a lot of times it might be a limited mindset pops up in different ways. Maybe our parents didn't teach us to think for ourselves or to really, you know, we just had to listen to the parents or listen to our teachers or listen to our boss, right? And we kind of suck the thinking out of people sometimes. I'm a big proponent of journaling because I think that helps with the why issue. Each morning, it's Julie Cameron's morning pages, right? And just write down everything that's bugging you, everything on your mind and start asking that why. So you got to the why this is important to you. You've got the motivation. You've got the confidence that you're going to pursue this thing. What do you think is the magic number of goals to pursue at one time to increase your odds? Yeah, good question. So there has been some interesting research with health-related goals where the thought process usually is you don't want to set too many goals because if you set too many goals, they're all going to get watered down. We only have so much energy and time and resources to put to something, especially when we're talking about like a really big goal or a significant sort of behavior change. Like you want your energy to go to that. And if it gets dispersed to many goals you're going to half-ass all of them. Sorry. Like you're not going to do as great with all of them, right? However, with health-related goals, we do see that sometimes people do have greater success when they set both nutrition and workout goals. They complement each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So as long as the goals are complementary, then sometimes they can support each other. But really you have to ask yourself like about your bandwidth, And whether or not you have the energy and the resources to be able to really dedicate yourself to more than one goal at a time. So you can do two or three goals, depending on what they do, and they're not interfering with each other, because that's definitely one of the setbacks that people can encounter sometimes is when you have goals that are conflicting with each other. So as long as they're not conflicting with each other and you have the bandwidth, 
with really big goals, I wouldn't do more than two or three. Well, and there's this idea, and Atomic Habits has been a best-selling book for the last few years, and he talks about habit stacking. But I think that's what you're talking about when they're complementary, because being in the health and fitness space, own a gym, and really see that you can't outwork a bad diet. So those two things feed each other. And so if you dial in your nutrition, you're going to be better at working out. You're going to get more results. And so those goals definitely support each other and they're not contradictory. But when you talk about having a bandwidth, I think it's more mental energy than even physical many times. Yes. And that's what you do. You're a mental skills coach. How do we evaluate like what we have the, the mental energy for? Because I think maybe sometimes we overestimate what we can yes. do we have the best of intentions and we want to accomplish all the things. So how do you help people to manage the, their mental energy and be more realistic about that when goal setting? That's a challenging one because that comes back to like our greater culture of like, we should be able to do all of the things and we mm -hmm. shouldn't be able to do them all by ourselves. Like and that's just a big fat myth and does not work that way. So this is one that many people struggle with and that falls into this sort of greater cultural challenge that we have with messaging around what should be rewarded and what should not. The thought process is I need to work hard enough to quote unquote earn my time off versus do I need to make sure that I've taken care of myself and I've rested enough so I can bring the best of me to the work that I'm doing. And it seems like it's the same thing, but it's very much not. We're flipping the script on I have to work so hard so that then eventually I earn the time that I need to take care of myself. Part of what's happening there is like this greater sort of cultural. And sometimes there's family culture around that also of like when you're someone that has a really high work ethic and that's important to you, how do you balance that with making sure that it's also okay to be realistic with how you're allocating your mental and physical energy? And sometimes we just struggle with that. And that is one of the greatest stressors I see people have sometimes is not being realistic with what they're able to accomplish in a day and then feeling like they failed because they haven't accomplished everything they set out to do when really that was never realistic in the first place. So you're always in a losing game. You're always playing a losing game in that situation. And that is not good for your mental or physical health. My coach talks about only having three goals a day, right? Three things to accomplish every day. And I've heard a number of people talk about that. And I do that. I try to outline the top three things, but then that performance mindset takes over. And it's like, well, yeah, but then there's 50 other things that I also want to accomplish. Right. But I'm not satisfied with those top three. But look at my list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, exactly. Where I'm going with this is we hear a lot about this idea of having a growth mindset. How do you define a growth mindset? And then how do we think about that? If we have a growth mindset, you wake up every day, the sky's the limit. And then how do you regulate that? Isn't that a fixed mindset by saying, well, I can't do everything. So <laughs> right. define what a growth right. mindset is and how do we get better at adopting one? Growth mindset comes from the research of Carol Dweck. And it was fascinating. So she's got a great book called Mindset. And she was a professor and she noticed that with her students that they all came to the table with the same intellectual ability. Like they're all capable of thriving in this environment. Yet she saw that there were some of her students that were doing amazing and thriving and others that were just crumbling. And she's like, something's going on here because they all come to the table with the same capacity and the same ability 
but there's something happening. And so through her research, which has now been shown in all different areas, she recognized that the success of those students came from whether or not they had a fixed or a growth mindset. So the ones that had the growth mindset, they were able to continue to work towards something and find success and believed it was possible through effort and strategies or getting the right resources or help. And it wasn't a matter of whether or not it would ever happen. It was just, oh, I haven't figured it out yet, but there are things I can do to figure it out in that belief system. So it's that entrenched belief system of, I haven't figured it out yet, but I can change my strategy. I can put in more effort. I can get some help. The If I do one of those things, it's going to help me figure it out. Whereas a fixed mindset is, if I'm not good at it now, I'm never going to be good at it. And if I have to ask for help, that means I've already failed. Totally different mindset. We all have growth and fixed mindset in different areas. Like it's not necessarily that you are only growth mindset or only have a fixed mindset. Sometimes we'll have a certain mindset in different areas of our life. But embracing that growth mindset is what helps us to be resilient. We're more likely to be resilient, to be able to persevere through those setbacks, able to find our way through those plateaus when we have a growth mindset. That's helpful. I think about it being curious. So, right, is rather than yes. labeling yourself as bad at something, it's like, okay, I'm not where I want to be in this area. How could I get better? Who could I learn from? What resources do I need? Right. And it's so when you hit that wall, when you feel like you're stuck, stop taking that as an identity and get curious. Yes. Yeah. And getting curious instead of being judgmental, because that's the fixed mindset. You're very much being judgmental against yourself Yeah. versus like being curious of like, oh, that's interesting. It's like taking the scientist approach to yourself in a way. So now you've become a student of yourself instead of having that more internalized perspective of judging yourself or thinking that something is good or bad about you because of some accomplishment you did or did not do instead of like, huh, that didn't work. That's interesting. Right. So scientists when they're doing an experiment and they've changed one of the variables, they might have a theory that they're working off of, but if it doesn't work, they're not like, well, screw this. I'm going you know, <laughs> to quit science. Right. Like, I can't believe this didn't work. Instead, it's like, huh, that didn't work. Let's try this. They're curious. Well, I've noticed we do have a tendency to defend our own position. So if you tell people you believe a certain thing or you post it on social media, even when you start to learn that that might not be the case, We just naturally have a tendency to want to defend our position. Do you have any advice about how we do get more open-minded and realize that we might not have it all figured out? I think we could all intellectually say, yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't have it figured out. But on the ground level... We assume we're right on so many things. I'm I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> if I didn't think I was right, I'd change my opinion, right? So yeah. like how do you shorten that time period between forming an opinion and then being curious about what you might be missing or how you might be able to progress? Part of it's embracing that growth mindset, right? And that idea of allowing yourself to be curious and and working towards not becoming attached to any particular emotion or perspective. So knowing this is kind of getting into some bigger themed topics around things that support everything that we're talking about today was now kind of moving into psychological flexibility and mindfulness where this is a lifelong practice of doing these things to be able to recognize, oh, it's natural for us to get hooked by that idea of like, but I'm right and this is the way. 
And then kind of pulling back from that and recognizing, oh, we're each in some senses living in our own world because there's so much of our perception that comes from our experiences and the way that our mind is operating. And sometimes we forget or lose sight that the person we're talking to is also in their own world. Totally. You don't experience the world as it is. You experience the world as you are. I feel that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So getting curious about that person too is an important part of that process and kind of not being so attached to our own thoughts of like, this is the only way instead of like, well, this is a way, but what other ways might there be as well? And let's explore those also. That's humbling. And I appreciate that. You know, I think what a great tool, because I just happened to have done this with my family. I think everybody would benefit from doing, maybe individual (laughs) results may vary, but go to an escape room because that's the perfect training ground. And we were talking on the way home. I feel like my kids were better than my wife and I at this because they weren't so fixed on how things had to be, right? They were asking all kinds of questions. The kids are great at being curious until we discipline it out of them. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. We need to have more like childlike detachment, if you will, be open to the possibilities and not so fixated on and escape room is a perfect example because they intentionally trying to throw you off. And the more assumptions you make, the worse you'll be at it. That is fantastic. We've been talking about my husband and my stepson and I have been talking about doing escape room. I think that you've just you solidified that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's so frustrating because I was <laughs> not great at it. <laughs> so oh, that's like, funny. I'm going to have to keep going until I get better at this. <laughs> right? Yeah. And did you go in thinking, oh, I'm going to be good at this? Like, Oh, I'm totally. Yeah. 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 That would be me. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm going to rock this thing. No, it was like, I'm so confused. What are we doing? (laughs) And that's a great tool. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for your time. Definitely helping us wrap our brains around how to create goals that we actually have some sense of hope and confidence that we can actually reach this time and not picking too many goals, but only complimentary ones. Loads of wisdom here. If people are interested in learning more, I know that you have a podcast and blog and also offer coaching, what's the best place for people to find you? The best place is to head over to my website, which is carriejackson.com. I'm also on Instagram as at feed the athlete and on Facebook, mental skills training for athletes. But you can get access to all of that if you head over to my website. And there's a great blog there with all kinds of mental training tips, or you can get onto my email list where I give even more mental training tips. So that's the best place to find me. Well, thanks, Carrie. Appreciate your time today on the next Simple Step podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.